Praise the Lord. It is such an honor and privilege to be here this evening and to speak to you. Um, I will be honest, the message tonight has been something that has kind of been in the back of my mind for a while. And funnily enough, a parent this weekend or this week was talking to me about their child at work and they were saying, you know, he's just not mature. Like you, when you have him one-on-one, he's fine. But when you get him with a group of other kids, he just is like, he loses what maturity he had. And so I was like, oh, well, I wish, you know, there was a rating scale or something I could give to say, how mature are you? You know, but there's, there's not such a thing. But that got me thinking more and more and, and, pastor has been giving such awesome words, amen, which he always does, but it feels like back to back to back to back, it's like, man, you're reading my mail every day, and I find it rude, but also wonderful, because it's rude, because it's like, are you for real getting up into my business, (laughs) you know, and I know it's not him, but the Lord quickening him, but it's like, Jesus, okay, okay, I will receive, um, And so a lot of this, it just felt like it all tied together. And so if you will bear with me for a little bit, I would like to speak to you tonight on how to grow up. And we know, of course, those slides before that slide were that we're growing apostolic legacy, and we know all what that means. And I'll be honest, as a mom, that is more and more important to me every day because I want that little loud thing to have a place where she can go and receive the Holy Ghost and be surrounded by people who are going to encourage her to live for God and to walk with God and to have a deep relationship with God. And yet, I, as much as I love this stage and watching her learn to crawl and figuring things out and you talk to her and she's like, yes, I understand when she doesn't, all of those wonderful things that are happening, I want her to grow up. And that's bittersweet to say. Anybody who's had any kids, anyone who's been a kid, it's kind of that bittersweet. I know that there are plenty of adults who'd rather be like, you know what, I'd rather go back to childhood and not have any responsibility for a minute. Amen? Maybe that's just me. You know, to say, I'd like to check out for a little bit. Somebody else can take care of adulting for me, and I'd just like to go to the park, fly a kite, right? Do whatever. And yet, I want her to grow up because time happens to all of us. We all grow up in some way, right? Even if it's just physically. But we all know that there is a maturity that we're also looking for beyond just, okay, now she can walk, now she can chew her food, now she can talk, now she can... We all look for what is maturity. Don't raise your hand. But has anybody ever met an adult that you're like, you're actually not an adult because you're acting like a two-year-old right now? Okay, sometimes I am the two-year-old in the room. (laughs) I include myself in that. But there are plenty of people that we know that you're like, you're an adult in body, but you are just not mature. And so I got to thinking, what does this mean? And, and we know Peter Pan, this whole idea of I want to be like Peter Pan. I never want to grow up. I just want to stay a kid all the time. Well, in reality, while that's a lovely idea, 
The truth of the matter is, is that if we stay stuck in childhood or in childness, all of us as adults know that that's a clue that there's something wrong. Right? If only part of me matures, so if, if I love all of her grows except for one hand, there's something wrong with that hand. If all of her grows except for her feet, there's something wrong with her feet. Well, the same applies to whether it's mental, emotional, spiritual. We're supposed to be growing in maturity. Right? Amen? Let's go ahead. So what is maturity? And I looked it up because that's the kind of person I am. Because, you know, it's one of those definitions where you're like, I'm just not 100% sure how you would define it. Everybody kind of defines it a different way. And in the psych world, it says it's the result of the natural and healthy process that an individual goes through when their needs are met at various developmental levels. Which basically translates is, as you grow and experience things, you learn from things and you move on and apply what you've learned. Right? Another author defined it as the behavioral expression of emotional health and wisdom. I was like, okay, well, that's still a little bit unclear. So I looked up what are some hallmarks or some trademarks, characteristics of maturity. Now, this is not, this is not, I'm not pulling scripture yet. This is just what the world is saying that is maturity. Taking responsibility or owning your own mistakes. Learning to listen. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to listen, right? Being able to listen to what somebody's saying and take it into account and think about it first before you respond. Being flexible. That was kind of a surprise to me. Being flexible is a sign of maturity. Being able to roll with the punches. Okay, I can handle that. Healthy boundaries. Makes sense. Humility. That's a sign of maturity. Managing your own feelings and behaviors. That's self-regulation. This is what the world says. This is how we know you're mature. Okay? And we know, though, that the Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you a physical parallel to what I want to do for you in the spiritual. And I've said it time and time again that psychology is nothing more than the attempt to explain God principles without him. And so if we take all of that, a lot of those should sound familiar to us from the Bible. Amen? Maybe not in those exact wordings, but those principles are all throughout from Genesis to Revelation. And how do I know that? Let's go ahead to the next verse. Because what does the Bible say about the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And how do you get fruit? You get it from a mature tree. Right? Maybe you didn't know this. This is a thing. You don't just plant a seed and get a fruit. Right? A lot of times, it takes years of investing in the tree before it produces anything. It takes year of tender, loving care and investment and I got to trim this and I got to make sure the soil's just right and I got to water it and I got to help it and I got to make sure the deer don't eat it. I got to make sure things are taken care of 
before it can produce fruit. Well, guess what? The same's true with me. And, and I don't know, maybe you guys have had a different Holy Ghost experience than me. But when I received the Holy Ghost, it wasn't like all of a sudden, bam, I am no longer human. And I no longer have to deal with daily life and all of the emotions and baggage that come with it. My problems were not all suddenly solved. I still had to deal with people who I didn't like and who didn't like me. I still had to go through the daily grind. Just the Holy Ghost all of a sudden didn't just bear fruit in my life. A seed was planted. Things started happening. Things started growing. But I suddenly didn't say, okay, Holy Ghost, one night, the next morning, I'm producing all nine fruit. Maybe you all did. That's wonderful. I was much more fleshy. It took me some time and learning and studying and growing with the Lord before I was able to do that. And I'll be honest, even now, some of those on that list are easier for me to produce than others. Maybe that's just me, and that's okay. But I tell you what, that first one convicts me every time. Because then I have to think to myself, all right, if love is the first element of the fruit, now I'm, don't, don't let me lose you. We're still going to talk about how to grow up, but we're just, we're building up there. This is like the foundation. Okay? First Corinthians convicts me on a daily basis. You know why? Because this is the love that God says he has for us, but then he says that we're supposed to have for each other. And it starts out with it's patient and kind. You know what? There are days that I am neither patient nor kind because I'm running late and I got to get somewhere and somebody who decides they want to go for a Sunday drive in the middle of rush hour but go 20 miles underneath the speed limit wants to whip out in front of me. Patience is not being produced in that moment. Now, the Lord might convict me and say, you need to prune that up a bit. And I'll say, you're right. You're right. But you know what? I would like them to move off of the road in kindness. <laughs> right? It's not envious. It doesn't boil over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. doesn't display itself haughtily. It's not conceited or arrogant, inflated with pride. It's not rude or unmannerly. This is every day. Right? It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't insist on its own rights or its own way. It's not self-seeking. Wow. I know, it's good stuff. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful takes no account of the evil done to it. And I'll tell you what, but when they did that to me at work or when they cut me off, I tell you what they were doing and it was intentional and it was purposeful and they were trying to make me lose my Holy Ghost and my mind at the same time and they came close. He said, love doesn't act like that. Love doesn't do that. It doesn't rejoice at injustice and in righteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Keep going. It bears up under anything and everything that comes. 
say, you know what? I'm so mad right now. What does love say? <sighs> okay. Have you ever been so mad where you're like, I love you, but I don't like you right now? Okay, sometimes I say that to myself. Like, I know that I've got an attitude going on because I'm tired and I'm hungry and I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed and I know I need to get into the presence of God. And so I just need to tell myself, you know what? I love you because the Lord says to love yourself because he loves you, but right now nobody likes you and you need to, you need to get back into love. <laughs> right? It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. That, that one right there can convict me. Because I work with all kinds of people. Parents, teachers, everything in between. And I'll be honest, some of the cases I see make it really hard to believe the best in everyone. That's just between us. Maybe everybody you work with is wonderful and always has the best intentions all the time. But when I got some kids who've gone through some pretty horrific stuff, it's hard for me to operate in that last line of love there where it believes the best in everyone. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and endures everything without weakening. It never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. That's what love does. So right there in Galatians where we've got the root of the fruit is love. Every day I'm convicted. And every day I say, Lord, help me to grow in this love. Help me to do better. Help me to fulfill it better with my husband, with my daughter, with the people I work with, with my family, with my church. Help me to do better growing in this love of yours. And yet what's so wonderful about the Bible is he doesn't just, the Lord doesn't give us just one spot where there's one single time where we get a message. But he says, you know what? I'm going to connect some threads for you in various places, and I want you to hear it in a lot of different ways and a lot of different styles. And he goes into Ephesians chapter 4, and really the whole chapter, and I tried not to put the whole chapter. I did put the majority of the chapter. We're going to work through it. But this whole chapter is about ways to mature in God and how to grow up in God. And it starts out, and we remember that Ephesians was written to a church that was full of Gentiles. There were some Jews there as well, but it was written by Paul to Gentiles. And so Paul opens by saying this chapter by saying, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to and beg you to walk or lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called. Now, wait a minute. Let's stop there. To lead a life worthy. Not worthy of myself, but I've been called to do something greater. Not because of how awesome I am. Not because of who my daddy is here or my mama or my grandparents or my aunts or my uncles or whomever. But because my heavenly father has called me. He chose me. He loved me first so that I could love him back. And he said, because you have been called, he said, Leave, lead a life that's worthy of that calling. The behavior with behavior that is a credit to the summons to God's service. 
He said, look, you've been called with purpose and intention. Don't just take that for granted. Don't just say, oh, yeah, I come to church. It's nice. He said, no, I want you to lead a life actively. And, and he said, I'll define it for you in case you don't know what I'm talking about. He says, living as becomes you with complete lowliness of mind, that's humility, and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness, with patience, bearing with one another, and making allowances because you love one another. Now, a lot of those things highlighted in red should sound familiar when compared to Galatians. Gentleness, meekness, bearing long. They should also sound familiar to Corinthians, love. He said, this is how you lead this life. Be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony and oneness of and produced by the Spirit in the binding power of peace. Do you know what that tells me? That there's going to come some things in our lives that are going to make us want to give up the unity and the oneness. And I'm not talking just believing that Jesus is, is and God, they're all one. I'm not just talking about that. But the oneness of the body. The oneness that I have with God himself to say, you know what? He lives in me and I live in him and we're all there together. But you know what? Having things and you say, well, wait a minute. Why would the Lord allow things to come our way that would make us where we have to guard and keep the, the oneness or the harmony? Why would you have to fight to keep it? Because guess what? Unless Isla falls a couple times and lands on her bottom, Every now and then and feels a little bump, she's not going to learn how to walk. She's not going to mature that way. Unless she comes up against some things that she has to push back and give a little resistance to, she's not going to grow. And we know this not just with children, but even with trees. Trees that have no wind resistance have no root system. You can knock them over just like that. Huge, big trees. They did a study in Texas. Huge, big trees they could knock over just barely touching them because they had no wind, no resistance, no deep roots. And so right there, growing in maturity says, you know what, I'm going to have to guard and say, you know what, I know that the enemy's going to try to do things or life's going to happen. Misinterpretations are going to come where I'm going to be like, you know what, that person did me wrong and I just am over it. I'm done with it. Forget them ready to walk out. Pastor, you have offended me, and so I'm just done with you. I break the plate. No longer my father. No. What does that do? Nothing. Who does it end up hurting? Me. Because I've severed a relationship with the man who raised me. Right? And so when things come, he said, look, you've got to be willing to earnestly guard and keep the harmony that's produced by the Spirit. So when I start to feel myself get gnarly and I got to say, you know what? When was the last time I've been in the presence of God? When was the last time I got myself clean? When was the last time I let the Lord wash my feet because I'm getting bitey and I just want to go off into an island getaway somewhere where no one can find me, well, guess what that does? Who does that separate? Me. It ends up hurting me because I'm disconnected from the body. 
right? And the Lord didn't want that, okay? And he goes on, and I, and I did skip down some verses, and he says, look, this whole process, this whole maturing thing is, and he said in, in those earlier verses, he says, I'm going to give you some people. I'm going to give you people to help you, whether it's pastors, teachers, evangelists, all these things. And, and I didn't put it in your slide, but in verse 12, he says the whole point of him giving us people in our lives and teachers in this book, right, was the perfection and the full equipping of the saints. That's us. Say, that's me. That we should do the work of ministering toward the building up Christ's body, the church, right? That it might, and this is verse 13, that it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full accurate knowledge of the Son of God. Now notice that. When we're talking spiritual maturity, our job is to say, I want to make sure that I am growing and producing fruit, right? We got to be, because I can't go to pastor and say, are you growing and producing fruit? I want to make sure that you're doing all that you need to be doing and you need to be accountable to me and we need to go through a list. And are you going the, because guess what? If he's not doing it out of love, then it's just ticking boxes, right? But I have to be watchful for mine. And we know that the Bible says in another place to work out our own salvation. So I have to, to look at myself and say, you know what, self? Have you been in the presence of God? And when self wants to raise up and say, well, no, but I can guarantee you pastor has neither, and so and so has neither, and if they would be, then they wouldn't have offended me and made me upset and hurt my feelings, and you know, that car that was on the road, if they were also full of the Holy Ghost, they wouldn't have done that either. And the Lord says, you know what? You don't go there. You focus on you. I'm going to deal with everybody else, right? And yet when he says here, that we all attain oneness. This goes right to pastor's sermon where he said, you know what, when I feel that spirit of rah, 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 instead of saying, pointing the finger out, pointing the finger in, hit my knees and say, Lord, help, forgive, wash, be merciful, be gracious to us. I'm including me in that. Help my sister. I'm glad that they're here. Help my brother. I'm glad that they're trying. Give them mercy. Give them peace. Why? Because we're all supposed to be in this together as well. We build our relationship and our maturity individually, but also as a corporate body, which is why we got to look out for each other. You say, well, does that mean I get to call out somebody? No, I'm not talking about that. But you get to call out for somebody. Amen. That's why he said, I want you to intercede. And he says, notice, we all attain this oneness in the faith, the comprehension is that we might arrive at really mature manhood. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and the completeness found in him. So then we may no longer be tossed as children, be as children, tossed like ships to and fro between chance gust of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine. Well, you know, I'm just not sure that that's what it means. I'm just not sure when the Bible said X, Y, and Z, that's what it meant. Now, I saw somebody on YouTube, and they said that it was probably what it meant here, and then somebody else on TikTok said something else. And, you know, I just, I'm not 100% sure that's what the Lord meant. He said, no, when you are growing in maturity, you know what you believe. You got it down. 
So when the winds blow and the earth shakes and all this, you're like, I'm standing on the rock. This is the everlasting rock. I'm not bothered by what anybody else says or believes. I know what I believe. And more importantly, I know in whom I have believed. Amen? And he goes on and, and he talks, you know, about all of these different things about, and again, this is Paul dealing with maturity, telling the church at Ephesus, I want you to mature. I want you to grow up in God. And he says, rather, let our lives lovingly express truth. Notice that is that L word again. In some things, no. He said, in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, enfolded in love. Again, that L word. My goodness, he says it a lot. Let us grow up in every way and in all things. And you say, why is this whole spiritual maturity so important? Because of this next part. Notice he said, let us grow up and in all ways. Who are we growing up into? Into him who is the head, even Christ the Messiah, the anointed one. Why is spiritual maturity so important? Because I want to grow to be like Jesus. We know the song, To Be Like Jesus, To Be Like Jesus. All earth I long to be like him. He said, this is our goal. And why is it our goal? And we see it in verse 16. For because of him, the whole body, the church, in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together, by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied. Okay, now notice that. Here's what's so amazing about the church body is that there are so many different parts of us in our physical, much less in our church body, whether it's here in CAC or everywhere else connected to us around the world. We all bring something unique to the table. We all serve a special purpose in the body. And it's because of him that we are all here together tonight. A lot of us wouldn't have any connection to each other except we have a first shared connection to God. I would not have met and eventually married my husband if I hadn't first met him at church. What are the odds? I don't know, but they're not even. <laughs> Half on the literal other side of the world. But there was a connection there first. And so Paul's saying, because we have this connection here first, all of us come together. And when each part, so when each of us, this is written to me and you. When we come with power adapted to its need or to our need, we could say. When we're working properly in all of our functions, we grow together in maturity. My goodness, the word itself is there. Building itself up in love. Again, that L word. So this whole maturing process starts and ends and is fulfilled in love. Right? Yes, amen. 
And, and the Lord goes on and he continues in verse 17. And so I say this and solemnly testify in the name of the Lord as his presence that you must no longer live as the heathen or the Gentiles do in their perverseness and the folly and the vanity of their souls and in the futility of their minds. Now notice again, Paul is writing to Gentiles. He's saying don't live like everybody else lived. He said, I don't want you to do it. And he said, because I can tell you what they're like. Their moral understanding is darkened. Their reasoning is, is beclouded. And I'll be honest, this is, the next line is one of the scariest parts to me of this verse because it says, they are alienated, estranged, self-banished from the life of God. They did it to themselves. I can do it to myself. God forbid, I don't want to ever do that to myself. Because of the ignorance or the want of knowledge, perception, the willful blindness that is deep-seated in them due to their hardness of heart. It's a powerful line. The Lord addressed it with the Israelites back in the Old Testament where he said, I want to take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. You say, well, stone is nice because stone, you can punch stone and you're going to be the one hurt, not the stone. And, and you know what? It Maybe if I just desensitize myself to people, then I'll be fine. The problem is that makes your heart a heart of stone. And the Lord says, I want you to be sensitive. I want you to feel things. You say, why? Is it because he wants me to be hurt? Yes and no. Does he want you to hurt? No. But he wants you to feel it so we can run to him and say, look, I got hurt. Can you make it better? Not, oh, I got hurt. Nobody look at it. Nobody heal it. Nobody make it feel good. But so that we can come to him and say, will you fix it? It, it hurt. It doesn't feel good. And so he says, look, they have a hardness of heart. They're insensitive. They have spiritual apathy. They're callous and past feeling and reckless and greedy to do whatever they want, however they want, in whatever way, shape, and form that they want. He said, that's what it is. That's what you came from. That's what happens when your heart is hard and where you're not operating and connected to that love. He said, I don't want that for you. I want you to mature up. And in fact, he said so in the next verse. He says, but you did not learn so. That's not how you learned about God. That's not what the Lord, that's not what Jesus taught you. And he says, assuming you really heard about Jesus and you've really had a God experience, assuming that you really know what this is about, he said, let me tell you what you got to do. You got to strip yourselves of your former nature. That old me that wanted the way, the things that I wanted, the way, shape, and form that I wanted, I'm going to have to let her go. And constantly work on being renewed in the spirit of my mind. That means getting my thoughts right, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. So when my knee-jerk flesh reaction is, oh, you know what? Sister JJ did me wrong. She didn't shake my hand. I'm saying, you know what? Sister JJ is a walking miracle. I'm so glad that she's here. She doesn't have to shake my hand. That's all good. That's all right. I love her. I'll love her from a distance. I'll bump elbows with her from afar or just wave hello. 
And if she sees me and waves back, great. And if she doesn't, that's okay too. You say, but wait a minute, that's, that's totally different from what you first said when you were offended that she didn't shake your hand. Sister JJ shakes my hand just for the record. He said, but I want you to, to recognize you've got to be changing your thought process. So that knee-jerk reaction that we all have that doesn't want to think the best in people that lines up with that Corinthians love, we got we got to say, nope, we're not going there. we got to put on a new nature that walks in its godlike in true righteousness and righteousness is to be in right standing with God and holiness therefore rejecting all falsity the next verse being done with it express truth with his neighbor for we are all parts of one body and members one of another when angry don't sin don't ever let your wrath, your exasperation, fury, indignation last until the sun goes down. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Do you know why I think the Lord said that? Because I think he said, I don't want you to brew and stew and hold grudges on things. I think he said, I want you to get clean of it, whatever it is. If you've made yourself mad, because I've done that. Where I've, I've done something or said something and I thought, you know what? Why did I say and do that? That was just goofy. I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking. I was just, oh, I'd lost my mind in the moment. And I can get so mad at myself, but even that I have to bring to the Lord and say, you know what, I need you to forgive me of that, and I need to be done with that. I don't need to dwell on that. And, and the thing that's so powerful about all of these things, when we're talking about maturing and, and growing in that love, is that all of these things, when we mature in Christ, it is pleasing to God. And pastor just preached on what's being and doing what's pleasing to God. To watch Isla grow and mature is no end of a delight. To see her now with two teeth poking through it makes me smile every time I catch a glimpse of them. Because she's growing. She's maturing. And the Lord said, look, I don't want any foul or polluting language. And, and we could get into a, a big debate and discussion on what is foul and polluting language. But he said, ultimately, I only want speech that's good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others. If it's not positive and building up and edifying and encouraging to somebody in the church, he said, don't even say it. My boss has a sign on her desk that said, if you can be anything, be kind. And I told her it needs a little added bonus. So I put a sticky note on the back that says, and if you can't be that, be quiet. Because the truth of the matter is, he said, look. If it's not something that's going to build up my brother or sister and have them want to say, you know what, I want to get a closer relationship with God. I want to be more involved. I want to be more plugged in. I want to be more apart. I want to be more connected, whether it's to the church, to God, to the body, to the whatever. If it's not doing that, he said, don't say it. And he says, don't grieve the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. 
Don't offend him or vex or sadden him by whom you were sealed. And now notice, up right before that, it says, when you're talking about what's beneficial in the spiritual progress of, of, of others, he said, as is fitting to the need and the occasion that it may be a blessing and give grace to those who hear it. We're supposed to speak purposefully and intentionally. And building words and edifying and encouraging words. You say, does that mean I can't be honest about where I'm at? Absolutely not. But it's one thing to talk about the long list of things that are wrong and leave it at the long list of things that are wrong. And then it's another to talk about the list of things that are wrong but say, but you know what? God is so good. I'm still here. He's still faithful. I'm still trusting. I'm still believing. I know that we've got some bad news with Sister Love Disa, but I know a miracle worker. I know he's able to move. I know he's moved before. I know he can move again. And you know what? Whatever he does, I'm still going to praise. I'm still going to thank. I'm still going to worship. That's very different than, isn't this just the worst thing ever? Why? Because, you know what? I want to draw closer to God. And he says, let all bitterness, indignation, wrath, passion, rage, bad temper, all of that. He said, let it be banished from you. And you know what? That's also a convicting verse. Because there are times that I have a bad temper. That's just me, though. Y'all are all, you've got it whipped, and I appreciate that. You pray for me, because I need it. Quarreling, brawling, clamor, contention. He said, banish it from you. And he said, here's what you, I want you to do as your alternative. I want you to be useful and helpful and kind to one another. Tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, loving-hearted. I'll tell you what. I know that there are a lot of, of different voices out there that say, you know, when your baby cries, you need to let them cry for a little bit, or you need to do the cry it out theory, or you need to do this, that, and the other. And let me just tell you, I can't stand it. She cries, and I'm just like, I got to go, I got to go to the baby. It doesn't matter if I've had 30 minutes of sleep, two minutes of sleep. She cries, somebody's getting up, and we're getting the baby, because I can't handle it. You know why I can't handle it? And I've told my husband, God love him. He's so sweet. He'll get up if even if I don't, I'll kind of nudge and be like, can you get her for me? And he does. But I told him, you know what? She doesn't understand where she's at. She doesn't understand what's going on. She can't understand English fully to know that she's safe. Everything's okay. Mom and dad are in the same room with her. She's not going to get hurt or in trouble or whatever. She's in the safest place she can be in her bed. She doesn't understand any of that. All she knows is, I'm alone, I'm scared, I don't know what's going on, where's mom and dad? And because I am the mature adult, and my husband, but we're talking about me right now. But because we are the mature adults in the room, instead of getting mad, oh, I can't believe she's up and crying again, and oh my goodness, isn't it the worst thing ever? We recognize that's where she's at. That's her maturity level. She's not where I am right now. There's going to come a time where she doesn't cry through the night. And you know what? That'll be okay. We'll enjoy that time as well. 
But for right now, where she's at, she needs to feel that mom and daddy are nearby. She needs to know that they'll respond when she cries. You say, well, I don't feel like I'm at this, this great maturity level that you're describing. You know what? That's why we can grow. We don't have to stay at whatever level we are. We can grow and do better. And so he says, I want you to, to be compassionate and understanding, loving-hearted, forgiving one another readily and freely, even as Christ forgave you. And I'm closing, and I just wanted to reference this last slide. I'm not going to read it, but if you want a convicting chapter, it's one of the chapters that Pastor uh, read to us or part of it on, on Sunday. And read it in the Amplified. It was a kick to my teeth. But it opens with let love for your fellow believer. And it goes through all of those different ways to please God. And, and you know, that's what this is all about. Because if I can grow in maturity and I can mature up in God, you know I'm going to fulfill chapter 13. If I can grow into that Christ as the head, mature level, and loving each other and letting the Lord love on me and me love on you and you love on me and I can do all of that. I've got Hebrews 13 whipped. I've got it covered. And so allow me to encourage you, and I'm, I'm done for the evening. I'm going to have pastor come and close us out. But let me encourage you, wherever you are, if you feel like, man, I've got some work to do. Every day, I feel like we should all feel like we've got some work to do. The person, the only person I know who walked the earth and had it whipped was Jesus, and he took care of it for all of us. But I always hope that we are growing and into maturity in him, in love. I love you all very much. You are all so precious to me. And may the Lord continue to bless and keep you this week as you go about your way. Pastor.